been talking in the last few weeks about um, in the context of this year's theme, which is life to the max. Not max smart, but max as in maximum. Life to the max. Uh, and, and this month we've been focusing on the theme of the purpose-driven life. Now, I know books have been written and, and other people will write more about the purpose-driven life. What does it mean? Uh, and yet, when we talk about purpose and meaning and success and identity and all these things and we look around, it seems that on the other hand, life is really short. Um, I was talking to somebody the other day about this and I, and I remembered years and years ago reading Time magazine, uh, did an article, uh, an interview with Billy Graham and they asked him, uh, what was the greatest surprise in your life? And he said, how soon it's over. <laughs> uh, yes, okay. And yet, you know, we, we, we are urged and we urge one another to live to the max, to use the brief time that we have uh, to be successful and to reach our goals and to do it well and to do something meaningful and lasting. If ever you watch, and I'm sure you don't, uh, I, I, try, I, I don't think I ever have watched some of them, some of the reality shows on TV, like uh, Australian Idol. Who watches Australian Idol? Come on, some of you, no one? Okay, uh, another one, a farmer wants a wife. I, I get a bit cynical. Uh, um, uh, MasterChef, The Chase. My father-in-law watches The Chase religiously every afternoon to see if he can uh, uh, be selected to, to, join, uh, the, uh, to join the panel. Or, or hard quiz, that's his favourite. And, uh, you know, and if you're success, successful, you get a little bucket at the end with a handle on it and you can put it on your desk and show that you're the smartest person around. Uh, and, and we know that, um, that, that success in life, according to what we see on TV, success in life is about looking good, looking smart, uh, looking uh, larger than life, being better than your competition, stunning all of your critics uh, and winning the crowd's applause. Now, I remember many years ago, I was chosen to go on television with a mate of mine called Stephen Hanlon and, 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 and it was a quiz show. And so there were two of us on one side and two on the other side with the comp in the middle and this vast crowd, must have been thousands, what seemed like it, uh, and, uh, and, and, and we were asked, you know, first to the buzzer and, and um, you know, we were, we were determined to win uh, for the small prize that we'd take home in our pockets. And what I noticed, one of the first things I noticed was that above us, there were signs that flashed, clap or cheer or groan. And, and, and it occurred to me that while people were clapping us, they were doing so not because they uh, had said something marvellous, but because the sign said clap. Now it's time to clap them. And, uh, and so we did our best and we, we, we gloriously lost. <laughs> but, but that experience, that experience of being up there competing uh, and having a sign saying, clap him, cheer him, you know, give it, you know, give it the best you've got to make him feel really, really special. That can be thrilling or it can be devastating um, depending on the opinions of the judges and depending on the final score. So we didn't get much money to take home, but it was a, a memorable experience. Uh, you know, we, we're, we're reminded that nothing succeeds like success uh, for, for a brief moment. How can we talk about maximizing our lives? How can we talk about doing the best uh, when as Christians, we believe that there's another approach? Yes, let's do our best, but there is another approach and it can be equally powerful and it can be liberating if you capture it this morning. And it's the song that we were just singing. It's, I'm available 
In the context, Lord, I want it to be more about you and less about me. Now, I want to start this morning with a story about a young man in the Bible who faced many of these same issues as we do and how he dealt with the dilemma. He was young. He was unattached. He was popular. He was charismatic. Uh, he was a great public speaker. He was fearless. The problem was that he lived in, in the, at a time when his world was under the oppression of a colonial regime um, and, um, and, and colonial rulers dominated all the decisions were made in his society. He belonged to a, a society, a group of people that forever felt downtrodden. Every day, this young man, as he w- walked around the streets and went about and uh, put on his suit and went to the office, uh, he witnessed injustice and racial abuse and prejudice. And that in this, this was a context in which the majority of people felt that God was on their side, but that God had let them down. Is God really there? In the midst of all of this, the sense that maybe God had abandoned them. Where's God when you need him? This, in, in, in this context, our young man, uh, one day sensed the call of God and he stepped out. And when he did so, someone says, maximize your life, live to the max. Uh, and, and, and as he did, he, he captured the attention of the nation. As a great prophet, he became a magnet and crowds came from all over the country. They flocked to see him. They loved his debates with the politicians. You know, who's going to win? What's he going to say? How's he going to answer these difficult questions? His debates with the religious leaders, they lined up and they, and they cheered as he stood up to injustice and wrongs and, and wrongful attitudes. And in, in a sense, when you read his story on, on, the, on the metrics of success, he was right up there. He was successful. He was living life to the max. He was living the purpose-driven life. Um, and yet, he, he, also, he, was also living, he was living dangerously, but the, people, the ordinary people loved it. Um, when they talked about him. They followed him. They quoted him over coffee. And some people said that he was the greatest messenger God had ever sent. The greatest messenger God had ever sent. He had an impressive resume. Uh, he had lots of enemies, but in, ter- in terms of religious revivals, he, in a religious culture, he stood out. You're wondering who I'm talking about. And, and, and it's, it's really easy to get used to that kind of adulation, that kind of praise, when everyone thinks well of you. Remember Jesus said, beware when everyone speaks well of you. Uh, because they don't really mean it. Uh, something, something's gone wrong. Um, until one day, one day in the midst of all of this, here, we, here he is, here he is, Mr. Popular, great preacher, charismatic young man, moving the nation. Some of his friends walked through the door and said, we got some bad news. Um, one of your family members, one of your best friends, has set up shop down the road and people are leaving us to go and follow him. Ouch. Ouch. How do, you, how do you deal with that? How do you cope with that? Now the, the crowds were drifting away. The crowds were changing their allegiance. How could they do this? How could they defect? How could they walk out when, when he, he, was, he was the man of God for the hour? How can people be so fickle, so depressing? One day you're at the top. The next day you're irrelevant. For a period, a short period, he was the star he was the star in the religious firmament and the next day his bright light was shading because people were leaving him. Poor guy. Poor guy. 
you know, and, and, and that happens. I'm sure that it, it happens in political circles, you know, it happens in business. Um, and, and some of his friends were jealous on his behalf. They're saying, you know, your cousin is taking over all of your ministry. He's taking away all your followers. You've worked so hard to build this ministry and he's come to take it away. Well, everything that you've worked for, you've got to do something quickly. You've got to step in here because if you don't, he's going to take everything away and you stand to lose everything. He could have felt disappointed. He could have felt resentful. At the period, he was at the pinnacle of his ministry and in a brief moment, he was going to lose it all. The Gospel of John tells his story and uh, the other Gospels tell his story and the way he handled it. And, 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 and if for a moment we will pay close attention to the responses that he gave to what was happening in his life and, and, and almost like the, the eclipse of his public ministry, there's a powerful message for each of us as we seek to live life to the max and have a purpose-driven life to see that God has a context and a plan and a purpose and that's all about making him more important. It's all about Christ. Now, if you are familiar with the New Testament or if you read your one-year Bible yesterday, uh, you will know that I'm talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Um, I, I, I had friends when we lived in the Middle East who, who were disciples of John the Baptist still in the 21st century. Um, and, and, and the newcomer was John the Baptist's cousin, Jesus. Jesus appeared on the scene and John could have complained, you know, I'm the prophet. Yes, Jesus said, he's the greatest prophet who ever lived. He's, he's the greatest. There's, there's no other prophet in the whole history of the nation that's like him. John could have said, I've got the role. I baptize crowds, maybe thousands, who knows. Um, and people from everywhere are coming to listen to me. Um, and Jesus said, yep, yep, he's right, he's right. He, he's the one. He's the one the prophets talked about. That um, I, I, someone would come in the spirit of Elijah. Isaiah talked about it and Malachi talked about it. And, and he would come with the powerful anointing of God upon his life, saying, prepare the way of the Lord. He's going to be the forerunner. He's going to be the door opener. He's going to be the one who'll come and say, let me present the Savior of the world, the Redeemer of the world. But it's only for a short moment in his life in ministry. His fame spread. In fact, if you read ancient history, Josephus, who was probably the best-known uh, uh, historian of that period, talks about John the Baptist. And yet his ultimate purpose at the top of his game was to stand aside. And as his buddies were coming in and then walking out and leaving him one by one to follow Jesus, John was able, by the Spirit of God who lived in him, who changed his perspective who gave him a supernatural, superhuman perspective on what was really happening. John was able to see the hand of God at work. Jesus was taking away the limelight from John and John was thrilled about it. How ironic is that? They said, John, how can you be so happy? You've worked so hard. You've sacrificed everything. You've literally sacrificed everything. You've given up silk suits for camel clothes. You've given up steak for locusts that you catch off the tree and, and I hope you cook. I don't know what you do with them. But there was his time. But now it's all slipping away. How devastating would that be if you built your life in future on where John was at this moment in his life when everything was working and suddenly it goes down the toilet? It seemed to those who are watching from the outside. How do you cope with it? Well, John's secret was this. 
He said, uh, in God's scheme, life to the max is only measured by one metric and, and it's often overlooked in our highly competitive environment in which you and I live today. But if we capture it and we see success and purpose and plans and achievements in this light, uh, then, then we'll understand things from God's perspective. You've got to have God's perspective on what's going on. And John said this, Jesus must get the credit. He must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. Isn't that revolutionary? Isn't that, a, isn't that different to most of the things we read? You know, you can walk into Dimmicks and see books on leadership and, and really it's all about getting to the top and holding on and, you know, fending off your enemies and being there and being influential and being the man or woman of the hour. And John said, no, that's nothing. In the end, it means nothing. It's all about Jesus. He said, I'm standing aside because it's all about Jesus. So today I'm convinced that God wants to use you God wants to provide for you and bless you. God wants to be present in your home and in your life. And God wants you to maximize what he's called you to, to do and to be. Um, but it's not about maximizing your uh, cleverness or your agenda or your great social skills or your business acumen or your reputation or your experience or even your religiosity. It's only about Jesus. Because if you take what John says, and I'm going to read that passage in, in a second. If you take that literally, whatever success we have as Christians in a modern competitive dynamic world, whatever success we have, we owe to God. Yeah. Listen to what John says in John chapter 3. It'll be up on your screens shortly. Then Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem, went into the Judean countryside. Jesus spent some time with them there baptizing people. Uh -huh. He's taking over John's ministry because John baptized so many. At this time, John the Baptist was baptizing in Enon and Salem because there was plenty of water there. And people kept coming to him for baptism. This was before John was thrown into prison. I see there are other things going on. Um, a debate broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jew over ceremonial cleansing. So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi or teacher, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people and everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. John replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. Think about that. Think about that. This is our mission. This is our understanding. No one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I've told you I'm not the Messiah. I'm only here to prepare the way for him. It's the bridegroom who marries the bride. And the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. I like that passage that says, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. Yeah. One version says this, John answered and said, a man can receive nothing, neither office, function, faculty, nor life work in the kingdom of God, except it has been given him from heaven. Yeah. So when we talk about the will of God and the plan and the purpose of God, let's work out what, what God has given us, or maybe what God hasn't given us, and not try and manufacture what we think we should have, but ask God what he's given us. Yeah. Right? It's all about Jesus. It's not even about our great skills. It's not about our ministry or our purpose. It's not about me. It's about him. Yeah. 
in church life, in business life. It's not about me, it's about him. Now, sure, we have skills. Let's use them to the max. Let's use those opportunities to the max. But when we stand in front of the mirror, let's not persuade ourselves that we are the greatest. When I was younger, someone gave me a record, I forget who was, singing, Lord, Lord, I'm so humble. Uh, I, I'm sure you've heard it, Lord God, God I'm so humble in every way. Uh, and, and then someone gave me a little trade that said, you know, it's hard to be humble when you're so great. <laughs> but, but I love John's response. Now, there's nothing wrong with John's calling. He was being obedient. There's nothing wrong with his ministry. He was God's man for the hour. He was full of the Holy Spirit from before he was born. He was anointed by God. He carried a powerful prophetic anointing, which was why Jesus said there's never been a prophet like him in the history of the world. There's never been anyone like him. But at, at, at the end, in the final analysis, it wasn't about John. It wasn't about John's great ministry. It wasn't about what he said and the crowds that came to him. It was about the coming Messiah. It was only ever about the coming Messiah. Life to the max for John was not about being a bold prophet and preaching fiery sermons and having the crowds line up to repent of their sins and, and turn to God. And it, it wasn't about giving the right answer to those who came to criticize him and convincing them and calling on the nation to repent, even though that was happening. His real purpose was to point the way to Christ. He said, that's why I, that's why I came. That's why I came. In, uh, uh, toward the end of the passage, he said, therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. Now, as Christians, there's a time to be out there shining. And there's a time to let go. And Jesus, uh, uh, sorry, John uses a powerful analogy of, of the bridegroom. You know, the groom stands, uh, sorry, the best man. The, the best man stands beside the groom, you know, digging him in the ribs and encouraging him. And the best man puts on the best suit and has the best, the best speech for the reception. And, and, but sooner or later, the best man realizes it's not about him. The job of the best man is to make the groom look good. Uh, and so the groom gets attention and the groom gets the bride. <laughs> That's what he said. And he said, he said, I'm just like the bridegroom. I'm here only to introduce, uh, sorry, the, the best man. I'm only here as the best man to introduce the groom, to introduce Christ. And the moment he comes, I don't want you to look at me any longer. I want you to look at him and listen to him. And, and there's a sense in which if John's message is working, the crowds are not going to be following him. They're going to be, they're going to be following Jesus. If, 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 if his message is working, the people he influences are going to become disciples of Jesus. And that seems counterintuitive to our modern mind, where we think that success is about what we are able to achieve for ourselves. This is the same, Christ, uh, same situation that the Christians I've seen over many, many years, and we're surrounded by, you know, as Christians, uh, in, in all walks of life, this is the situation we find ourselves in. The goal of church growth and church programs and teaching and preaching and worship is to lead people as disciples of Jesus. What we do as a church is to lead people to be disciples of Jesus. The reason we gather and worship and give to missions and the reason we go to our hunger and the reason we, we ring up people and spend time with them isn't because we're, we're so great, because we're so influential, but because we want to lead them as disciples of Jesus. And John said, go for it, guys. Go and be disciples of Jesus. That's what my life's all about. 
I once worked with a division head in a department that I worked for in the Commonwealth government, and, and, he, and he said to me one day, we were just about to go into a meeting, and he said, Alan, your job is to make me look good. I was the director in his division. And, and, and he looked me straight in the face with a strong Scottish accent, and he said, you're good. Your, your, your purpose, your goal is to make me look good. But the whole purpose here uh, isn't to make us look good because that's such a, that's such a human response. The whole purpose here in this passage is to make Jesus look good. It's not wrong to want to have influence. It's not wrong to want to use positions for good. Of course not. Go for it. And if you're in a role and if, you're, if you have influence and if you have opportunities, go for it with all you've got. You know, prepare yourself, do it, use your opportunities, use your strengths, use your weaknesses, use your abilities, use your knowledge, use who you are and what you are uh, and you know, maximise your life because there's only one life, so make it count. But in the final analysis, your call, your gifts, your ministry, your ability uh, have as their goal as a Christian to lead people to Christ. And it's hard to say, let there be less of me and more of him because intuitively we, we want it to be more about us. Look at me. Look at me. Aren't I great? Look at me. Aren't I, aren't I influential? Aren't I wise? Aren't I, aren't I tall? You know? Aren't I photogenic? Don't I win all the prizes? And, 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 and God says, well, I can blow that out in a second. It's, it's, not, it's not about you. Make it count. And, and, and that requires great humility because there's no room for narcissism in the kingdom of God. There's no room for, look at me, aren't I so great? in the kingdom of God. There's no room, even in living life to the max and living a purpose-driven life, there's still no room to say, look at me, it's all about me. Because the scripture says, it's all about Christ. And what we do as Christians and, and how we plan and how we live and, and our language and our relationships are, are all bringing, uh, about bringing people into a better uh, uh, knowledge of Christ and being intentional in that and being deliberate in that. So the purpose-driven life isn't about competing with others. It's not about being dis disappointed in our performance if we, if we slide off the scale a bit. It's not about comparing ourselves with others. Listen to John. More of him and less of me, he must increase. And as Christians today, let's take it out of head knowledge into heart knowledge and experience that that is our DNA. That's our end game. That's how we measure success. More of him. More of him. Listen to the conversations. You know, we, we can have 20 conversations and, 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 and not, draw, not point people to Christ. Let's be intentional about our relationships. Let's be intentional about the opportunities that we have. Now, as I get around, uh, I find that many Australians, my fellow Australians, uh, have developed a refined and increasing sense of entitlement. It's entitlement. It's all about entitlement and a lot of competition. But the purpose-driven life is not about entitlement. The purpose-driven life is not about me and my reputation. The purpose-driven life uh, uh, isn't saying, well, every, everyone owes me. Everyone owes me. And why aren't they recognising me and why aren't they, why aren't they praising me? 
We spend a lot of our time comparing and contrasting ourselves with others uh, as though the things that identify us are what other people think of us and how well we do on other people's scores. The things that give us meaning uh, so often are portrayed as our knowledge, our success, our assets, our role, our status, our words. And, and as a consequence, we can become fearful of doors that close, fearful of handing over, fearful of letting go, fearful of aspirations that don't materialize, fearful of visions that are not fulfilled, fearful of seeing others do better. And sometimes the fear of loss is, ends up being greater than the new opportunities that we have. But John says, no, as Jesus is glorified and as people uh, follow him and recognize that he's the Messiah, he's the Savior of the world, he's the Lamb of God who has come to save us, to redeem us, to bring us back into relationship with God, then I'm thrilled with joy at his success. That's where I get my uh, satisfaction. Remember, the purpose as Christians, the purpose-driven life Yes, it's about finding yourself. Yes, it's about understanding who you are, what you've been given, what you're called to do, and maximizing that with all the strength that you have. But it also means humbly relying on the grace of God and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to be all that He's called you to be, to be all that He's called you to be for His honor and His glory so that He will increase if it means that I have to decrease, so that He will increase. As long as God wants, so that people will see and will follow Jesus Christ. Do I believe in living your life to the max? You better believe it. Do I believe in a purpose-driven life? You better believe it. I'm not going to go and sit in a hole and moan and complain and groan and be grumpy and feel that, that life's over and, you know, there's no more purpose. No, no, let's get out there. Let's do it. Let's be. Let's be the most faith-filled, optimistic people in the world. Let's influence people. Let's, let's use the gifts and the strengths that God's given us. And if you're at the beginning of that journey, then go for it. Go for it. 120%, 130%. Go for it. Be the man or the woman God's called you to be. But remember, at the end of the day, it's all God has called you and I to live in this world and to live purpose-driven lives so that we can point people to Jesus Christ. That's the eternal reward. That's the eternal consequence. Do you believe that? I want us to pray. I just want us to close our eyes where you are sitting down. Just let's, let's pray. Oh, God, today we want to make a fresh commitment if we've been living for ourselves alone, if we've been living for other people's praise, if we've been competing and feeling that it's about our vision and our ideas and our greatness and our reputation, Lord, today we want to get a fresh vision that it's about Jesus. And that even though John was able to challenge a nation and people came from all over to follow him, he knew that his call was about standing aside and pointing people to Jesus Christ. Lord, help us in our lives as we seek to live a purpose-driven life, as we seek fulfillment, as we seek to have influence, as we seek to 
to accumulate whatever it is that, uh, uh, that we consider important. Lord, Lord, and, and whatever you put on our heart, Lord, help us to keep the right vision today, that the purpose-driven life, the, the ultimate purpose of the purpose-driven life is to love you and to glorify you and to know you and to stand in such a way that people can walk past us as they walk to Jesus. As they walk to Jesus. And while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I want to, I want to give you a challenge. It's not about the preacher. It's not about the church. It's not about the singing. It's about Jesus in your life. Now, I don't know everyone here intimately, but if you're sitting in the church this morning and listening to me and say, well, Alan, uh, 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 you know, how, how do you have this? How, how, do you, how do you begin this life where it's all about Jesus? Well, the first thing we have to do is we need to come to Him in repentance and say, God, uh, I, there's nothing more I can do. I've, I've lived for myself, but I'm lacking. And I know that only Jesus can make me a new person. Only Jesus, when He comes into my life, only He can give me eternal life and forgiveness and a relationship with God. If that's you, I want to give you an opportunity now in just a moment to signal that and then, then I'll pray for you at the end or someone will come and pray with you at the end. If you've never taken that step and said, Jesus, I give my life to you, but today I want to. I want to start the journey of being a Christian. There's a lot I don't understand. If you wait until you understand it, you'll, you'll never come. <laughs> Uh, but, but as we're here today, if that's you, you want Jesus to come into your life and give you the kind of life the Bible's talking about, can you just put up your hand just for a second and put it down? I'll see your hand. I'll acknowledge you. And then we'll pray with you afterwards. Is there anyone? The beginning. The beginning, thank you. The beginning of living the Christian life is taking that step to allow Jesus to come into our heart and make a commitment to Him, to follow Him, to believe in Him, to trust Him. Oh God, I thank You today that uh, we, don't, we don't have to strive to be a great note. We don't have to strive, even though some of us may, may do that. We're not dissing that. But Lord, the purpose today is to know You and to make You known. Help us. Help us to do that. Remind us of those words that we were singing before. Remind us of those words that, that, that John said. We want you to increase. Less of us and more of you. As we seek to live the purpose-driven life, that our purpose will be to be the men and women of God touching our generation because it's Christ that we lift up. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.